High Mercy House. Uh, and those of you that are also just maybe on the stream for the first time, maybe you just saw your friend post this, and uh, here you are. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, I want to give a quick uh, financial update on how things are going with the, the church, and uh, I know there's been a lot of questions about that in regards to where we are with COVID and uncertainty and these kinds of things, and uh, things look uh, pretty good. So you can see on this slide um, that uh, the, the, the target is $169,000 at this point in the, in the year, uh, and that we've received 161. So we're a little short of that uh, target, so that's a cause for prayer and uh, for generous giving, continuing uh, to, to give. And, uh, but also, if, if we think about what last year looked like at this time, at the kind of the end of summer, uh, we had about $150,000 that had come in. So we're really at like 11000 more than, than last year uh, in terms of, of income. So that, that, that's cause for uh, you know, excitement, encouragement. So just be in prayer, be uh, giving uh, generously uh, as we seek to hit that uh, important budget target. So let's continue in the book of Philippians. We've got two more weeks, uh, and we'll be finishing up this book. And uh, we've been saying that uh, this letter to the church at Philippi from Paul seems to indicate that the church at Philippi is pretty healthy, that uh, they're centered on the gospel, that they're very tight-knit as, as a family, and that they're on the mission to make disciples, not just in their own region, but they're making disciples beyond uh, as they give money to the apostle Paul to continue the church planting effort and the disciple-making effort in, in other places. Uh, but by no means are they perfect, right? They, they don't have this thing down. Um, you, you know, you might think, oh, the church of the New Testament was so perfect. It, it actually wasn't. They had as many or more problems as uh, any church uh, today. And we see that in the, in the, the church at Philippi. And uh, that becomes very apparent in the beginning of uh, chapter 4, uh, where we, we see there's some dissension uh, between some people. And Paul names some names. We'll look at this here in a minute. Uh, and so we see Paul helping us understand how to, how to deal with the relational defects that are in the church. Uh, but not only that, he's also going to help us understand how to deal with our personal defects. And really those go hand in hand, do they not? <laughs> our own personal defects playing into uh, the relational defects uh, in the church. So these are our two big categories today. If you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to look at the relational defects and the personal uh, defect categories here. And so in the relational defect category, you just heard this read the very beginning of verse 2 of chapter 4 says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree. And I'll stop right there uh, before the end of that verse uh, to, to just talk about that uh, in a for a minute. Now there's obviously been some kind of person one sinning against person two and now there's dissension and they're not getting along and really, when you have that kind of situation in the church, there's, there's three things that can happen, and two of the three are bad, right? So one is escalation, one is distance, and one is reconciliation. That would be the good one, right? So let's think about these. Escalation. So person one sins against person two, and then person two's uh, response to that is to fight back, to do something sinful in response uh, to person one, and things escalate. Uh, or distance, also a bad, uh, a bad response, right? Person one sins against person two, and person two just distance them, themselves uh, from person one. And what happens is it's this ever-increasing anger and bitterness and just this downward spiral that causes ongoing uh, 
lack of health uh, in the church body. Uh, and obviously those two are not what we want. What we want is number three, and number three is uh, reconciliation. And so reconciliation is where either person one, who's the, the offender, realizes, oh, I've sinned against person two, and I need to go to them and ask their forgiveness. And when that happens and forgiveness is given and received, you have reconciliation. Or perhaps person number two, instead of fighting or flying, uh, moves toward person number one and says, hey, that thing hurt me, but I'm so committed to my relationship with you that I'm going to move towards you instead of fight with you or uh, get distance from you. And then in the midst of that moving toward person number one, uh, reconciliation uh, happens. Now that sounds really hard, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, how, how do the people in the church uh, pull that off? And really the last three words here in verse 2 really give us uh, the how-to of, of how you reconcile. And again, I'll read it again. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. That's, that's the key there. Right? So what is he saying there? He's saying that these two women have union with God. Right? That they are children of the Father through their faith in the Son by the work of the powerful Holy Spirit. And so they have this union with God. They're in the Lord. But not only do they have union with God, they have union with one another. So not only are they children of the Father through the Son by the Spirit, they're also sisters in the Lord by the Spirit through the Son. Right? And so... If they have this union with God and union with each other, then they ought to be able to work out their differences in the day-to-day -day life of their relationships. And so this, this reality of union with God and union with each other is a higher reality. It is a more defining reality for the Christian than are the realities of we have defects, we are sinners. Those, those are certainly realities. But what Paul is pointing them to is the upward reality of who they are in the Lord and asking them to live a life that's worthy of that upward reality as they live in this onward kind of existence. Um, but think about it this way. What, what if after the Republican convention this week, we then go to the Democrats and the Republicans and we say, we entreat you, Republicans, we entreat you, Democrats, agree right it, 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 it's impossible right I, I get, it, there's like a, a hollowness to that but when you go to people in the church and you say I entreat you to agree in the Lord that is a whole different reality an, an upward identity of being in union with God in union with each other that can now be lived out in this fellowship with one another. And so Iodia and Syntyche should be thinking about their union with God and one another as they're uh, having this, this fight or what, whatever. We don't know the details, right? We don't really know the details. We just know that they're at odds with each other. And they should be saying, okay, that is, is what is real, my upward identity. And therefore, if I'm going to live a life worthy of that identity, I need to move toward my sister in Christ. And this, this is what Paul is and treating them on the basis of is this gospel reality that they uh, have. Now, what happens when those 
you know, person one and person two are not interested in moving toward one another. Well, the, the, the church members get involved. I mean, think about this. Paul is getting involved. I mean, here Paul is writing in this letter that's written to the church. So think about it. this letter's being, uh, it's being read to the church probably at Philippi in a public setting. Uh, they get through with chapter 3, and he's like, press on toward the goal, the upward call. And, and the, all the church members are like, amen. Wow, that's so, you know, very, very inspirational and instructive. And, and then he gets to chapter 4, and he's like, hey, I entreat you, Eodia and Syntyche. It starts naming names. And everybody's like, whoa, what just happened here, right? But he's getting involved because he knows how important it is that, they, they, that these women would be reconciled with one another. He's also... He, he, he's reaching out to the church. So check, check out what, what he says here in verse 3. He says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. <laughs> so not only is Paul getting involved, Paul's like, Help! Come on, congregation! Get moving! Help these women to reconcile with each other. And again, the ground that, that he appeals to is the ground of the gospel. Uh, he's saying uh, the ground of the gospel ministry that they've been a part of. He says, I, I, I've been working side by side with these women in, in gospel ministry, which as a side note, I'd like you to see that, that how, how he's talking about these women in the congregation. Sometimes Paul, he, he, he gets uh, unfairly uh, labeled as a misogynist. And here, I think, is one of those verses where you say, wow, look, at, look how Paul is talking about the women in his life as, as equals, as partners in the gospel, side by side, working in gospel ministry. But it's one of the things that he's appealing to in regards to, to their reconciliation. Look, look, we work side by side in gospel ministry. But even deeper than that, he, he reminds them and the church of, of, of Philippi, your names are in the book of life. And uh, this, this is, is, is there like a, a book up in heaven with our names in it? I, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure, I, but, but at least metaphorically, it's using this image of a book, right? That, that when you are, uh, become a Christian, your name is written in the book. And so, meaning there's nothing that can, do, that can be done to change that upward identity. Like it's in stone. <laughs> it's written in the book. And so he's letting them know yet again, look, this is your upward identity. You, your name is in the book, Eodia. Your name is in the book, Syntyche. You are sisters in Christ. You're going to spend eternity for, with each other. You might as well get along here, right? And so again, appealing to this reality that they are in the Lord such that they want to live that out in the here and now. And and I, I hope you see that this is just this is daily church life. <laughs> this is daily church life. If if you're getting discouraged about conflict in the church or, or the way that the church has hurt you or particular relationships have been hard, and you, you're just thinking this this is an anomaly. This is not how church should be. Actually, it's pretty normal. It's it's part of the daily life of church of people with defects of character trying to do relationships with each other resulting in defective relationships having to go back to the gospel over and over and over and over again. I mean, those of you that, that you live in close quarters with either a spouse or a roommate, I mean, is, is it not just inevitable that you hurt that spouse or roommate? 
And, and what do you do? You either fight, you fight or you fly or you reconcile. You move toward each other. And the church is no different. You do, you do life side by side together, you're going to hurt each other. And this is part of the daily life of the church, and it's no different in uh, Philippi. Now, that brings us to the, the category of personal defects, right? I mean, the reason that there are relational defects is because the people in the relationships have personal defects. And this next group of verses, you, you might not think of them in, in regards to how we deal with our personal defects, but I, I really do think these are coupled with this issue with Iodia and Syntyche for a reason. And, and so what we see here is Paul commending prayer and meditation on Scripture as, as the means by which we deal with our personal defects. So let's take a look at this section here. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So he's setting this next section up, um, again, by focusing on the Lord, right? He's saying rejoice in the Lord always. He's saying the Lord is at hand or the Lord is is near and so he's, he's wanting them to be grounded in this upward identity so that they can continue to move onward uh, in the challenges that they faith, face both uh, relationally and uh, personally and he he's saying that uh, because of this identity in the Lord that they can show their reasonableness or um, their, their gentleness or their consideration different ways to translate that and so he's obviously reaching back to this issue with Eodia and Syntyche. He's, he's saying what should happen is that these sinners saved by grace in the church should be able to work out their differences, and the world looking from the outside in is going, look at their reasonableness. <laughs> like, look at how they're working out their differences. This is uh, something that adorns the gospel. Right? But again, that doesn't happen if the personal defects of each of those sinners saved by grace is not getting worked on. And this is where he gets uh, into this next section of prayer and meditation. So this first part is about prayer, verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul, Paul is addressing a very important, very serious defect of character. And he's doing it by addressing a symptom of a defect of character. Now the symptom is anxiety. The symptom is fear. And what's underneath that is unbelief. And so this, this, is, this is the worst of, worst of all <laughs> sins, really, is, is unbelief. And now you, you may be saying, now wait a minute, you're telling me being anxious is a sin? You see, he, I mean, it's an imperative, right? Do not be anxious. He's, 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 he's being very clear here. Uh, so is it a sin? Well, yes and no, right? I mean, on one hand, uh, fear, anxiety, it's like a natural emotion. Like, like, it's a response. I mean, if there's a, a lion lurking around in this room, I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be afraid. That's, that, that's not a sin. That, that's, like, smart. <laughs> you know, that's going to get me to, uh, to, to run out of the room and, and find some safety. 
Um, on the other hand, anxiety, fear can be a symptom of unbelief, right? Um, I'm fearful, I'm anxious because I don't believe in who God is. I, I, I've lost faith, I've lost trust in the character of God and, and God's willingness uh, to intervene into my life. I, I don't know if you've noticed when, uh, when angels show up in the Bible, they often say, uh, don't be afraid, right? And I, I don't know, I always thought, well, is it because angels are so scary? And I mean, they, they are, they're way scarier than you know, little Cupid angels that we see you know, in, in uh, our modern culture. Um, but I also think it's oftentimes because angels show up at times when there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. Pe people are wondering, you know, is God there? Does God care? It's oftentimes why he sends an angel in is, uh, so, as a reminder. And so these angels have been in heaven with God. They, they've seen how glorious he is, how powerful he is, how wise he is. Uh, and so when they, through their lens, see the situation, they're like, eh, God's got this. But when human beings see the situation through their lens, they're afraid. And so the angels come from the upward into the onward and say, don't be afraid. <laughs> Believe me, God's got this. We, we were just with him in the heavenlies. Right? And, and so when we lose our vision of who God is, we begin to be fearful. We, we experience uh, anxiety. Now, What's so encouraging and comforting here is that he doesn't just say, stop being anxious, right? I mean, if I, we were to stop here uh, in that, with that first little phrase there, do not be anxious, you know, shame on you, stop that. Uh, this would be a very discouraging pass passage. There, there's not one person on this live stream, uh, myself included, that does not feel anxiety and fear. Like, this is such a normal part of being um, a human being. And, and just saying, stop it, is, is, is not helpful. Um, and so what, what he does is he teaches us how to pray and how to meditate, right? And so the way that he teaches us how to pray is he, we teach, he teaches us to pray uh, with, with supplication and with thanksgiving. And so the thanksgiving is the swinging back to see what God has done in the past, how he's been faithful in the past, thanking him for that, and then swinging forward to think about what's in the future, even though we don't know what's going to happen, we know who has the future in his hand, and now we can make a supplication or requests for God to intervene in the future. And so as you swing back and you think about his faithfulness of the past, you swing forward and you make a supplication, you make requests, uh, what happens? The peace of God. That's what happens. You get the peace of God. Now you may be thinking, oh, okay, so, so you're saying if I pray that I will get all the bad things to go away, and then I'll get the peace of God. No, not exactly. Um, are you saying I'll get absolute, 100% perfect understanding of all the things that are going on in my life, and then I will get peace, the peace of God? No, not that either. <laughs> so you're like, well, what, what changed? Well, what changed primarily is me, the person praying. Now, that's not to say that those requests that you're making are not being answered and that God is intervening in answer to your prayers. He absolutely is. But what Paul's describing here, I think, is something different, that the one entering into the life of prayer, swinging back in thanksgiving, swinging forward in supplication, experiences a transcendent peace of God. 
right? Because they're now being rightly aligned with the one who is all-powerful and all-wise and all-good. And when they are aligned with this one who's all-powerful, all-wise, and all-good, they get the peace of God. Now think about the peace of God, right? The peace of God is perfect, absolutely perfect. God's not worried about anything. He's not anxious about anything. Right? If you were to ask God, are you worried? Are you anxious about anything in this world? He's like, nope. Like, oh, come on, God. I mean, come on, man. I mean, what about my finances? I mean, aren't you a little worried about my finances? Like, what, like what's going to happen in the future? And, and how are things going to be paid for? And uh, the church uh, income? Or I mean, what, what, aren't you? Nope. Not worried. What about COVID, God? I mean, surely you're worried. Surely you're anxious. Nope. Not I'm not anxious. I'm not worried about COVID. What about the election guy? I mean, surely you're, 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 you're worked up and you're anxious about the election. No, I'm not. No, none. None of those things are worrying God. And, and it doesn't mean that, that he, he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he doesn't experience uh, emotion toward his children when he sees that we are anxious. Of course, uh, he does. But he has absolute control and perfect understanding. So of course he's going to have peace. I mean, if you had absolute control and perfect understanding, I mean, you'd have peace. But that's not your role, right? That's not my role. My role is not to have perfect understanding and absolute control. That's God's role. I'm not God. Neither are you. So my role and your role is to trust in the one who has perfect understanding and absolute control. And when I trust in the one who has perfect understanding and absolute control, that peace that the God of this universe has becomes my peace. And it's a deep peace. It's a peace that's not only a peace of mind, but a peace of heart, right? He guards our minds and our hearts, is, is how it's described there, like standing guard, you know, against the onslaught of uncertainty and the onslaught of, of things that are going on in our lives. And so I think we understand the, the mind part, and this is actually something that even a non-Christian person would understand this, right? I mean, you go to a therapist, and uh, they, they work with you oftentimes using cognitive behavioral therapy, right? And what they're doing is that the, they're teaching you to, to kind of get control of your thoughts and to retrain your thoughts. And when you retrain your thoughts, then your emotions follow suit. And it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? And so, you're, you're, yes, you're doing that in, with your mind, right? As, as you consider the all-wise, all-powerful, all-good, loving God, uh, it changes your thoughts, it changes your emotions. But he not only says that he guards your mind, he guards your heart. Now, your heart is the very center of who you are, the place from which your mind, your will, even your emotions are springing. So he's talking about some kind of transcendent peace that settles at the very core of your being and he's saying that that you experience that through prayer and so this is uh, how we deal with uh, our 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 defects right is is through prayer now as you're hearing me say this you're saying well I'm, i'm having a hard time believing that this god that you're describing is truly that kind of a and this is why prayer alone is, is not going to bring the peace that transcends understanding. Right? It's, it's, it's incredibly important. But if you're just praying, 
And on, honestly, when you look at statistics about people, uh, especially in the U.S., most of them pray. I, I, it's, it's astounding to me, the high percentages of people that are praying. Now, now who are they praying to? That, that is the question. Because if you pray to a God of your own making, you don't get the peace that surpasses understanding. You don't get it. It doesn't work. And, and if you only pray and don't meditate on the Word of God and behold God in His Word, you will eventually begin to pray to a God of your own making, which is why you need to couple prayer with the study of the Scripture. Now listen to how Paul describes meditation here, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any wor anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see where he couples this idea of peace, right, with the, the words that he said about prayer. He ends those with peace, the peace of God, and then after, after he talks about this meditation, he talks about the peace of God, right? So these are coupled the prayer uh, and the meditation. Um, and so it's so important that, that we do both the, the prayer and the meditation study uh, on Scripture. Now, if you just study Scripture, you treat God like a subject, you're not going to get the peace of God that transcends understanding. Right? You, you're going to get some more knowledge. You're going to get some more information. Uh, you really need both. It's a prayerful reading of Scripture, uh, oftentimes called the devotional reading of scripture that, that brings about peace that passes understanding. Now these verses of, of think on these things, um, I think is, they're often misunderstood by Christians. Uh, these are sometimes used as the, the TV verse, right? It's like, are, are the things you're watching on TV, are they you know noble, or are they true, are they honorable? And, and, and so you, you kind of run the things you're watching or the things that you're listening to through uh, this, this grid. And so you're asking yourself, is, is Game of Thrones true and honorable? Is, is Taylor Swift music just and pure? Or is Def Leppard lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise? And if it's not, then I shouldn't listen to it or watch it. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a horrible interpretation of, of this verse, actually. Because when you think about what is infinitely true, what's well, God, right? What's infinitely honorable, uh, God? What, what's infinitely just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, uh, God? What's worthy of praise? Well, of course, God. He's, he's saying you need to meditate on God. You need to behold God, right? So as, as you're praying, right, you're thanking and you're, you're offering your supplications, you're doing that unto the God of Scripture, the true God, not the God of your own making. This past week, the, the staff and I, we spent uh, three days together just praying and, and planning, working on the, the, the fall launch. And uh, one of the things we did was read and meditate on Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 40 is uh, the, the, the prophet Isaiah preparing God's people for exile. Like they're, they're about to be uh, thrown out of their country, temple destroyed, and they're going to be in exile for like 70 years. And so 
the prophet Isaiah is preparing them for that. And this is part of what he says there in Isaiah 40. He says, Go up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And then he goes into who this God is. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. And so you, you see Isaiah pastoring the people of God who are about to go through a very fear-producing, anxiety-producing kind of an experience of, of exile. And his remedy for them is, behold your God. Meditate on God, what is true and worthy, commendable, excellent. And this is the daily life of the Christian. <laughs> this is the daily life of the Christian. Right? Just, just like before, we, we said the working out of, 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 of hard relationships, of hurting one another, and giving and receiving forgiveness in, inside the, the church. That's just part of daily life. Hey, this is part of the daily life of the Christian. Prayer, meditation on Scripture day after day after day after day. Uh, the staff got an encouraging email this week uh, from someone who had filled out our survey, and on the survey they uh, had, when, when asked, uh, would you be willing to serve, uh, they, they clicked no, and, and then later on the next day they were thinking about it some, and they wrote this email uh, to the staff, and it said, uh, this morning I was reflecting on my answer to the question about wanting to know more about serving during this time. I answered no, to be honest, and, and to be honest, I was in a difficult headspace. The year, as you can imagine, has already been overwhelming. However, I felt convicted this morning that not being open to how I could serve isn't right. This morning I read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and verses 19 through 22 reminded me how important it is to be together together in all caps all that to say please let me know if there are some small ways i can serve mercy house i don't think i have the capacity to teach in this season but if there are any behind the scenes pieces that i could do please let me know and we were we were so greatly encouraged by that not not because the person's saying yes to serving i mean uh, everyone has to prayerfully figure out what's what what is god calling you to do is this a time where you can serve or not serve that's totally legitimate but what encouraged us is that this person said no in a time of, of, of anxiety, a time of, of fear, of feeling completely empty. And then the next morning they got up and they got, read their Bibles and they prayed and something shifted in their mind and heart. And, and when they did that, they realized, oh, what I did in that headspace of anxiety was not what God wants me to do. In fact, I want to do this. And then they reached out. And they change their answer. And this is all of us. Right? This is the day-to-day -day life, myself included. Being in a place of fear, of anxiety, of fatigue. Going to the Lord in that emptiness, in that sinfulness, and rebellion, or what, whatever the, the combination of things going on in our, our minds and hearts on any given day. And then with prayer and meditation, being caught upward to our identity of being in the Lord and then being able to travel onward 
in facing the challenges that are in our lives. So how do we respond to the text here that we've looked at today? I think there's three ways at least that you could respond. And one is to consider, are you in the Lord, right? I mean, none of this really applies to you if you're not in the Lord. Have you admitted your personal defects or sins? Have you admitted those relational defects with others and admitted that, that you can't fix them, that, that you actually can only confess them to a holy God who's also provided forgiveness for those defects through the death of his one and only son? If you've not believed that, received that by faith, I want to encourage you to do that this morning to ask God to forgive you for those defects and to give you grace to overcome those defects for his glory and honor and for the good of those that are uh, in your life. If you are uh, not sure if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to explore what the Christian faith is. And you can do that on our website, uh, mercyhouse365.org respond. You can go to that page and you can explore more what the gospel is. There's some opportunities there to fill out a form to let us know you'd like to talk more. And I would encourage you to do that. If, if you're like, I'm interested, a little unclear what this whole thing's about, I would encourage you to go to that page and explore uh, further. Uh, number two, for those of us that are in the Lord and our names are in the book of life, uh, we have ongoing confession of our personal defects. Like, again, this is the daily the daily discipline of the Christian. Uh, Luther called it a lifestyle of repentance. Like this, is, this, is, this is what we do. This is what the norm is, of, of going to God with these, these defects and, and prayerfully confessing those in light of Scripture and receiving his ongoing transforming grace uh, of repentance. And, and so uh, obviously there's many, many defects that we are bringing before the Lord and asking for forgiveness, but I would encourage you to, to uh, reflect on your anxiety because it can be a symptom of unbelief. It's oftentimes a symptom of unbelief. Now, can it be a physiological issue and can be you know, partly uh, chemically driven? I absolutely. So I, I don't want to negate that. Uh, oftentimes, though, it, it is at least a combination of unbelief and chemicals or merely unbelief. And so lean into that. Right? Don't, don't just try to medicate or uh, just escape your anxiety. Uh, let, let that anxiety kind of rise up and, and be a, a red flag saying there's something underneath. And then go underneath. And you can go underneath because of the gospel. Right? Don't be afraid what's underneath that anxiety. And so, and so prayerfully, while meditating on Scripture, go, go in there and ask the Lord, what? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so afraid? What am I not believing about you, who is all-powerful, all-good, and, and absolutely in control? Like, like, why am I not getting your peace? Because I know you got peace. Why isn't that being experienced in my heart? And, and, and to lean into that. And you may say, you know what? I've already done that. It doesn't work. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. I mean, th I'm telling you, this is the daily life of the Christian. Leaning in to these defects of character that, that some may, over a short amount of time, just completely be transformed. Others, we're, we're going to walk with these, limp with these, by God's grace, day in and day out. So lean in uh, to that anxiety and ask the Lord what might be underneath that. And then number three, 
uh, take action to repair defective relationships in the church. This may be relationships that you have with people. And, and maybe they or you have escalated that or you've just been distant, right? I think oftentimes that's what we do. We, we justify our, our distance and, and uh, this is how we deal with, with conflict in the church. Uh, neither one of those is helpful. And so lean in, move toward person that you've offended or the person that's offended you and, and seek reconciliation. And it may not be that you need to help repair relationships uh, between you and others. You may need to step in and help repair relationships with other people, right? That other people have with each other in the church. And we see that. Paul, Paul is exemplifying that. Uh, he's involved in that. He's asking others in the Church of Philippi to get involved in that. And so you have that opportunity here at Mercy House. If you know that there are people in the church that are at odds with each other to, to step in there and to encourage them uh, not to fight, not to fly, but uh, to reconcile. And we do that because that's what God did for us. When we sinned against him, what did he do? Did he, did he fight us or did he fly and, 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 and be distant from us? Uh, actually, from, uh, from Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, what does he do? He shows up in the garden. He, he moves toward Adam and Eve. He, he's like, what did you do? Right? He's, he's asking them a question. He's, he's moving toward them. And the rest of Scripture is basically God moving toward sinful humanity. So much so that he became a human being, walked on planet Earth, and died for their sins at the cross. And so if he's willing to do that, to move toward us for the purpose of reconciling us to him and place us in the Lord, we too can move toward one another to make sure that we live out this upward identity in this onward life. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful uh, for the reconciliation that we have by the gospel. Uh, it, it, is, it is so sweet to us as we think on it that you have moved toward us to forgive us and to, 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 to repair that rupture that was that had occurred in uh, in our relationship and that rupture was was on our end it wasn't something you did uh, we are person number one offending person number two and you by grace you move toward us not excusing our sin um, but but moving toward us uh, confronting us about our sin but also providing mercy so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to you God help us to live in that reality. May that be the greater reality, the defining reality for us, for our church fellowship, as we move towards you, as we move toward one another uh, by the grace of the gospel. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on this live stream or perhaps uh, listening, watching this uh, on video afterward. We are incredibly grateful to, to be able to at least connect on this level of, of, of uh, online. And uh, we encourage you to reach out. If God's moved uh, in you through this time, um, maybe even called you to faith for the first time, let us know. We're, this is, feels, you know, it's like, it feels like a one-way conversation, and in many ways it is, but you can make it a two-way. And so reach out, let us know uh, if God has been at work in your heart today, and, and if there's anything that we can do to encourage you in your growth in the Lord. Have a great week. Thanks for being here.